You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, I'm really sad that I can't be with you in person today, but I'm really excited that we're starting a new three-part mini-series today on the invitation of Jesus, of follow me, come to me, and go for me. Today, as we begin with that first invitation of follow me, be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So Matthew chapter four, or a Bible app, if you've got that handy. But right now, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray, Lord, please, in your kindness, would you be at work in the power of your spirit, that we might hear your voice to follow and so respond with our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, what is the best invitation that you have ever received? Growing up, I was never the most popular child, but on the rare occasion that I received one of those Tommy's turning 10 party invitations, the type of stock invitations that you pick up from the newsagent, whenever I received one of those, it really was of great significance to me. I was highly introverted, so I was a bit scared about going to the party, but I also was super chuffed to be invited and included. Perhaps the best invitation that you have ever received is to go along to the grand final of your favourite code when your team has finally made it through after decades of disappointment. Perhaps the best invitation you've ever received was actually the first date with the person who is now your spouse, or perhaps it was the invitation to go study or work in the place that you have really dreamed of. I once heard of someone telling the story of receiving an invitation from the Queen. The invitation arrived in an ornate envelope, beautifully addressed, officially sealed. But when they pried it open, they were so disappointed to discover that they couldn't make it on the date to which they had been invited along to. Searching through the card, rummaging through the card, they couldn't find any way to RSVP, no. So they rang up the palace and they spoke to the official person and said, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful to have been invited along, but unfortunately I can't make it along to that date and I just can't find a way of indicating no on the RSVP card. As the person on the other end of the line heard this story, they simply responded, there's no option to say no, because everyone has always said yes. It's the Queen. I mean, of course they say yes. What possibly could take precedence? Who would possibly say no? Matthew's gospel begins with an even greater invitation, an invitation that goes out to everyone from the greatest of all time. Matthew's gospel begins with the extraordinary news that the king of the universe, God's son, has burst into the world and he's inviting us to not only get on board with that news, but he's inviting us to himself, that we become part of that good news. He's inviting you and he's inviting me to turn to him. That's actually what we hear in verse 17 of chapter 4. So that which just comes before the passage that we heard read. Verse 17 of chapter 4, in many ways, is the core message of the public launch of Jesus' ministry. Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
if there was a launch party for the ministry and mission of Jesus, when you unfurl the banner, that's what it would say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not only has the kingdom of heaven, so God's reign, come near in Jesus, but he's inviting everyone to repent, that is to turn to him. That, of course, involves a grief for our sin. It involves a turning away from our past ways, but also a making of Jesus the object of our life. The king has come, the king has made a way, and the king is inviting you to follow him. So what does that entail? It's really interesting that Matthew only includes the calling of one other disciple in his gospel. He likely intends the calling of these first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James and John, therefore, to act as a bit of a snapshot, a preview of what it means to be called by Jesus. It, of course, doesn't mean that this is how it precisely works for every single person. You don't need to take up fishing and go hang out down at the lake waiting for Jesus to turn up. But it does show us some of the key elements of what it looks like to turn to Jesus and to respond to his invitation to follow him. So three things. Following Jesus requires us to hear his voice, embrace the cost, and fish for people. So first, following Jesus requires us to hear his voice. Would you have a look with me at verse 18 of chapter 4? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Simon and Andrew, and then moments later, James and John, are simply going about their daily lives fishing in the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea as we might first think about it. It's more like a lake. But what's important to understand is that this whole region was a home to a really bustling and thriving fishing industry. And Jesus, he's walking along the shoreline. It can almost sound like that Jesus was strolling along. He sees these brothers and he sort of casually calls out to them. But that's not what is happening here. We're meant to understand that Jesus coming down is not merely some casual encounter, but this is Jesus proactively searching them out, interrupting their activity, and summoning them, summoning them amidst the ordinariness of their life to follow him. This is highly unusual. We know that some of these guys had had some contact with Jesus previously. We also know that Jesus had likely gained some notoriety and had become more well-known. But Jewish rabbis, Jewish teachers, never went on the search for disciples, for students. The students came to them. In fact, it could be a pretty competitive environment. Jewish guys would identify a rabbi whom they want to learn under. But then, basically, they need to line up with the hope of being chosen, of being selected as an apprentice, a, a learner of their ways of that teacher. Perhaps Simon and Andrew, James and John, they hadn't made the cut with some other teacher. But no, Jesus flips this process on its head. They haven't gone to Jesus, but Jesus has come to them. The God of the universe is paying a visit to this commercial fishing village calling out not the potential superstar elite students amongst a competing pack, but Jesus is going to the ordinary, perhaps even the outcast, and inviting them to follow. And now we know that they truly hear the voice of Jesus because they 
respond. Proper hearing is demonstrated by response. For example, when we discover in our household that clothes haven't been put away or homework hasn't been done, we never say something like, sorry, was that task too complex? We say, didn't you hear us when we asked you to put those clothes away and to do your homework? Proper hearing is demonstrated by response. Simon and Andrew, James and John, they have understood the assignment. We read, first, we see Simon and Andrew, verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. And second, we see James and John, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They recognise the authority of the one who is summoning them. They grasped the immediacy of the call and they embraced what was required. Don't let the voice of Jesus bounce off you. Respond. Hear his voice. Sometimes if you've been following Jesus for quite a while, I think it's easy to forget the sheer simplicity and the beauty of that invitation. Sometimes the voice of Jesus can just fade into the background because we let the volume of other things just be ramped up. But never forget, Jesus has searched you out. And just as he originally invited you to follow him, he says again and again, keep following me. This is your life's work. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you might think, well, look, if Jesus shows up this week on one of my front lines, wherever I might be, amidst all the ordinariness of life, well, look, then of course, then of course I'd consider hearing his voice and responding. But I just want to say, if you're here today, the very fact that you're here today means, remarkably, that you have heard his voice. Not from me, but through God's word. That can sometimes seem faint amidst the noise of our lives and our world, but that invitation has always been there. Paul puts it like this in the first letter of the Thessalonians. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. These people to whom Paul wrote had not met Jesus face to face, of course. But that didn't, Paul, that didn't change Paul's conviction one iota that they had regardless heard and responded to the word of God. Why? Because they had heard and responded to the eyewitness accounts in the power of God's spirit. How God is speaking us through his word is extraordinary. Just take a step back for a moment to think how this has played out. God in Christ has plunged himself into our world and that testimony of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, message, well, it's been recorded and preserved. But not only that, it's been translated, taught and passed from one generation to the next. It's been communicated over the centuries and throughout the world. It might seem impressive that Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. It, it is. But it's no less extraordinary that God has made a way through millions of people over thousands of years that we can be here in this very time and in this very place hearing the same words today, come, follow me. 
An invitation is offered not based on your education or your standing, for you can't earn it, buy it, or buy your way into it. But that invitation is offered freely to you today. Will you respond and will you keep on responding? Come, follow me. Second, following Jesus requires us to embrace the cost. Verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with the father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Whenever I read these accounts of this first call, I'm really struck by the decisiveness of the disciples' response. I mean, it's amazing what trivial things I'm willing to drop everything for when it's in my best interest. But the disciples, well, they drop everything. They literally drop the nets and go with Jesus. They don't know what's ahead, but they saw Jesus and knew he was enough. It's kind of convenient sometimes to think, well, it was so much easier for them. It was so much simpler back then. However, that's not really a fair understanding of their situation. Economically, this would have come at a tremendous cost. Socially, this wouldn't have been readily acceptable as a thing to do. They would have had fishing quotas to fill. They're not just walking away from the livelihood, the economic security, but this is likely Zebedee's retirement and succession plan just walking out the door. Know that James and John leaving their dad in the boat doesn't mean that they're severing ties with the family. This is not some implicit or explicit endorsement that following Jesus means you walk away from your relationships and your responsibilities. Of course, it's not endorsing that. This is a very particular situation. But it does show us that responding to Jesus' call will involve a cost. Jesus is not just an add-on to our lives. He's just not one more thing in the trolley or one new line on our CV. Following Jesus means laying down our lives. It's like that image of a, a jar with all the rocks. We tip all the rocks out and we put the main one in, Jesus, first. It means laying down our priorities, our identity, our purpose, and even our aspirations for him. Jesus doesn't always call us out of everything that we're doing when we hear the call, but he does call us to deploy our everything, our careers, our resources, our time, our relationship, that we deploy it all in response to his call. That will often involve an initial reconfiguring of our lives, but it also will involve an incremental and a continuous radical reorientation of our lives. Over almost a decade here at St Bart's, I have been so incredibly privileged to witness the example of so many disciples who keep on keeping on reorientating their lives for Jesus. People who constantly and consistently deploy their time, their talent and their treasures for God's kingdom. Such wonderful examples of people who have faced all sorts of challenge, but they've kept on following Jesus, not just from year to year or 10 or 20 years, but for 30, 
40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and even 90 years. It's like every morning when they wake up that they hear that invitation, come, follow me, and then they do. That's the invitation to us every single morning. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I think post-COVID, I think we're in post-COVID, I think almost everyone has had some sort of element of reshuffling priorities. The pandemic was, and it continues to be, an immensely difficult season for so many, but also a season in which our world's closed in a bit. That was, of course, really hard in lots of ways, but it also, in some sort of strange way, gave us a freedom to disengage from others and, and shape our lives around ourselves. And for some in that reshuffling process, it's all too tempting or easy for Christian community to drop off the radar. And I guess I want to encourage that don't let that be you. Don't put yourself in a situation in which in 10 years time you might look back and say, wow, COVID is when I began to disengage in the life of Christian community and my daily following of Jesus. It's when I started shaping my life little by little around my priorities instead of the priorities of Jesus. When I was more concerned about following my own lead instead of following the lead of Jesus because it was all too costly. Time and time again, in and out of season, we need to keep on reordering the priorities of our lives, as Rick Hill puts it, and allow Jesus to be the fountain of my life from which everything flows. If you haven't had to lay down a net, so to speak, if you haven't had to lay down a net in your life for a while in following Jesus, well, it might mean that there are a few nets that give us comfort or give us security. There might be a few that we're holding on to. Come, follow me. Third, following Jesus requires us to fish for people. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. We're going to explore the invitation of going for Jesus in a lot more detail in the third week of our series. We're going to really unpack also what that practically means in our day-to-day lives. But today, I just want us to note three things about how following Jesus also intrinsically means that we're mobilised for his mission. So first, as we fish for people, we do so because we are living out God's purpose for our lives. Jesus' primary concern of drawing people back to God, well, that becomes our primary concern when we follow him. Evangelism, right from the first call of the first disciples, has always been part of following Jesus. When the prophet Jeremiah spoke of fishing for people, it was to catch them for judgment. 
But here, as Jesus gives the disciples a new overarching purpose for their lives, these fishermen will save people from the judgment by inviting them to trust in the one who saves. That's what we get to do. Throughout the Old Testament in ancient thinking, the waters, so you know where fish live, were were always associated with chaos, disorder and judgment. God brought out order out of the chaos of the waters at creation. Uh, Moses and God's people were brought safely through the Red Sea. Jonah was brought up and out of the deep. As we fish for people, the image is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he brings those who trust in him up and out of the flood of judgment. As we follow Jesus, God enables us to be a people who draw others out of darkness into the light which has dawned in his son. That's the first thing. Second, as we fish for people, we're participating in God's mission of multiplication. Our role is not just to tell people about Jesus, but that others would also respond by following him and get caught up in Jesus' purpose for fishing for people. And so here at St. Bart's, but every Christian, we should pray and long not just for people to know Jesus, but to become disciple-making disciples who invite other people to become disciple-making disciples. We can often feel like that we're not making much of a difference, but when we think of the whole body, even just our body as one church out on the front lines every single week in Toowoomba, in Brisbane, and far beyond, all the front lines where God has put us, from one pocket to another, from one year to the next, from one generation to another, the multiplication effect is extraordinary. Who would have thought that a relatively small movement some 2,000 years ago, beginning with the call of these guys who were fishing in their day-to-day job, could somehow grow and multiply to transcend culture, country and centuries that reached the ends of the world? But it has through the power of God's Spirit, enabling disciples to fish for people. Third, as we fish for people, God is at work transforming us. When I think about making disciples, of telling people the good news, of sharing the good news with my life, I can really so quickly feel inadequate, maybe even overwhelmed. I can see others do it and I think, oh, well, that must just come really naturally for them or they must be really gifted at that or actually they're just more faithful than I am. But note that there's real encouragement right here. See, we don't become fishers of people in our own strength. No, God is at work making us fishers of people. When Jesus says, I will send you out to fish for people, it not only includes a key aspect of being commissioned, but also that we will be equipped and transformed by him for this task. It's actually why some translations render this verse, I will make you fishers of men. As we follow him, as we learn his way, as he equips us with his spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we just sort of passively take a back seat. But what a great assurance that Jesus is with us in the power of his spirit. And he is at work transforming us as we respond and continue to respond to his call to follow him. Come, follow me. We receive all sorts of wonderful invitations. And I think often the problem in our culture is not a lack of invitation, 
of what to do, of how to invest our lives, or what to make our focus. But so often, actually, our problem is having the wisdom, wisdom to know what is best, of what is really worthy of making our life's purpose and focus. Well, it doesn't get any better than this invitation from Jesus. The invitation to know him, to receive the life that he offers and follow him with our all. He has searched us out. He has searched you out. Do you hear his voice? It's clear. Come, follow me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your extraordinary love that has been poured out in your son. We thank you for the invitation to follow Jesus. We thank you that as we do so, as we repent and put our trust in him, as we lay down every aspect of our lives, that we'd seek to reflect his priorities, that we're enjoined in your mission in the world. We thank you that as we respond to the invitation to follow him, that it's not based upon our merit or how clever we are or what we've achieved, but because he searched us out and that he has gone to the place that we cannot follow to, the cross, and that we are saved in and through him. Lord, particularly pray that you really show us in the power of your spirit any nets that we might be really holding on to, things that we're reluctant or resistant to laying down for you. Lord, would you give us real confidence, a growing trust in you, that we can do so knowing your goodness, your love, and just the phenomenal nature of your plans. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice, embrace the cost, and fish for people. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.